Amen. Good morning, CBC. I invite you to open up to your Bibles to Colossians 3. We are uh, taking an unexpected break from studying the Gospel of Mark as our pastor has been going through. Uh, this past week, our uh, Patrick got sick, and uh, he's still sick. He's still recovering. So we'll be praying for him. Uh, Patrick, we definitely miss you here, uh, but we look forward to God willing seeing you here next week. Um, hopefully we get back into Mark. Um, so we're going to be looking at Colossians 3 today. Uh, and we're going to be looking at a passage that has a familiar phrase, uh, a phrase that we often say and have heard it says, set your mind on things above. So we look at Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4. And you know, this reminds me of something that I've come across at um, typically like business-like seminars or motivational talks. Uh, I haven't been in any of those, to be honest, uh, but also like books on habits and things like that, like self-help kind of thing. And uh, many of these authors and speakers will often say that if you want to be successful, you need to know why you're doing what you're doing. What is the reason behind what you do? And I think it's a helpful question because, because it gives focus, right? Answering the why question gives us something to go back to, something to redirect ourselves, to realign ourselves with uh, so that we could achieve the goals. Uh, questions like, what does your company, why does your company do what it, why it, or why does your company do what it does? Why do you exercise? Why do you go to church? Why do you, what, what do you want to ac- accomplish with the money you have? Those questions get to the goals, gets to the heart of, why we're doing what we're doing. And I think it's helpful for the, that phrase of set your mind to things above. It's helpful to ask why set our minds on things above? Why have a heavenly perspective? Why be eternally uh, minded? And it's an important answer to question because I think, and what I fear, is that a lot of Christians, myself included in this, we can get so focused on day-to-day activities that we get so focused on the things of the world that, that we even, even when we tell ourselves, sit your mind on things above, we could tell ourselves that and then nothing actually happens as far as change goes. I think this happens to all of us. We could, we could focus on blessings, right? We could focus on, on marriage, our, 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 the marriage that we have. We could focus on our wealth. We could focus on the jobs, our good health, our children. We could save those blessings and revolve our lives around those blessings, around keeping those blessings the way we want it. I think trials, trials could get us off focus. And trials, they're, they're, they're heavy burdens. They're, the pain in trials could be blinding and the obstacles seem impassable at times. But we focus so much on the trial that we forget what is the trial supposed to point us to. We forget to look up. And I think many of us, can become complacent in our walks, that we forget to go to God and we get so entrenched in comfort, so entrenched in having the life that doesn't require a lot of us that we forget to read our Bibles or pray and then days go by, weeks go by, that we haven't done that and and we're comfortable with that. And in all these situations where sin begins to grow, where sin could actually become routine, And so whatever situation you're in, I could say to you, well, you need to set your mind on things above. But if you don't know why you're doing that for, that's not going to go very far. It's going to, that phrase is going to fall into the the Christian lexicon, and then it it won't have any effect on our hearts. So the question is, why? 
Why set your mind on things above? Why keep it there? Why keep your focus on things above? And Paul gives us the answer. The reason why we do that is because of who we are in Christ. It is because the reality of your identity as a believer surpasses any momentary situation you might find yourself in. Remember that you are not your own, that you have been united with the Savior, that when Christ died on the cross, you died to the world. When Christ was raised from the dead, God raised you from the dead into newness of life. And when Christ returns glorified, you will return glorified. You are and will always be inseparably linked, inseparably united with Christ. And so our home, our comforts, our joy cannot be found in this world. All those things are found in Christ. It's found only in Christ. And so that's why we look up. That's why we set our minds on things above, because, it is because we are united with Christ. That's the why. And so what our passage teaches us this morning is that we can set our minds on things above because we are united to him who is above. And Paul, the way he's going to give this to us, he's going to give us this in three aspects, three aspects of our union with Christ. Okay, so the aspects are that we are risen with Christ, we have died with Christ, and we will be glorified with Christ. So we have we are risen with Christ, we have died with Christ, and we will be glorified with Christ. So we're going to dive into each of those aspects. And my hope is that as we do that, as we meditate on those truths, that, that those truths takes out the delusion and the distractions offered by this world. And that reminds us of the reality. The reality of who we are and what we have in Christ. So we'll be in Colossians 3. I'm going to read our passage this morning. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Paul writes, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Let's pray for our time in God's word. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the hope that we even just have in briefly meditating on our union with your son, that we have life, that it is a sure, fixed reality about our lives. And I just pray, Lord, as we study your word, that you would make that reality so rich to us, so real to us, that it would cause change, it would cause worship, it would cause us to come before you in humble submission, and that you would work in us as we study your word this morning. Father, speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So we find ourselves in this incredible book of Colossians, and Paul's main point here, Paul's main thrust in Colossians is that Christ is sufficient. If you're going to boil down Colossians to three words, that's what it is. Christ is sufficient. Now, the context of what Paul's writing this letter is Paul's writing is, is responding to these false teachers who have been um, threatening the church here in Colossae. These false teachers denied Christ's deity. They, they diminished the power of Christ by adding works to salvation 
And Paul is responding to all that and saying to the Colossians, don't, don't listen to them. Remember what you have in Christ and in Christ alone. I think a, a great summary of this book is found in chapter 2. In verse 8, he tells the church, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men. And what's helpful to remember here is that the false teachers, their teaching sounded pious. Their teaching, as Paul says, has an appearance of wisdom. But you dive into those teachings and you say, these, are, these teachings are empty. This is just a list of do's and don'ts, which is what you get whenever you go off, go off Christ. You get a list of do's and don'ts, which are first ineffective in dealing with the worldly fleshy desires of our heart. But it also looks at Christ and makes Christ needy. It says that Christ is not fully able to save, that we have to add things to it in order for Christ to save. And so Paul's responding to this. And so Paul, what he does is he takes what we have in Christ and he explains it to the, to the Colossians. Um, let's go to chapter two really quick. I want to read this, this passage here. So rich, um, Chapter 2, verse 9. I'm just going to read through verse 13 here, so follow along. This is verse 9. This is what Paul is saying, that who we have in Christ. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So already Paul is saying, Christ is God, no doubt about it. And in him, verse 10, and in him you have been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the circumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. So we should look at that little passage. How many times does Paul say there with him and in him? Right? Paul's driving a point home. Paul is saying, believers, you are united with Christ. That Paul's saying that because of the gospel, we have new life, that we don't have to live like the world. In fact, living like the world is incompatible with being united with Christ. So, so we need this reminder. We need to be reminded about the gospel, about the grace shown to us to the cross, but we also need to be reminded about the reality that the gospel gives us, that we can quickly forget that we're, we're united with Christ. I mean, forgiveness of sin is amazing. But don't stop at the forgiveness of sin when you're looking at the gospel. The gospel keeps giving and giving and giving. Avenues of avenues of grace is, ab uh, 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 is abundant in the gospel. That the, accomplishments of, the accomplishments of Christ, his resurrection, his death, his glorification, all that you see with Christ we share with him as his followers. So Paul tells the Colossians this amazing, amazing truth to give them a reality check. He wants them to have this change in perspective. He wants, them to, he wants to keep them from falling back into the world, from falling what these false teachers are teaching them, and, and to go away from that and to refocus. And so this is what we need to do today. We need to refocus what is the why? Why set our minds on things above? Because we need to have a compass that points us back to him. 
So Paul does that here. And, and the first point he does, and we go, let's go back to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1, we get to a first point. That we could set our minds to things above because we're united with Christ. We're united with him in that we are risen with Christ. That's our first aspect. We are risen with Christ. So read verse 1 with me. He says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So Paul starts out this, this verse with a, with a conditional statement, right? The if statement. And that if statement is it's actually more of an exhortation to his readers. He's saying to the readers, listen, what I'm about to say here in Colossians 3 only makes sense if something has already happened to you. It only makes sense if you have been joined together with Christ in his resurrection. So he's assuming this if statement to be true. If this is true for you, then the rest is going to follow. And the reason why I love that if statement, because there's, there's connected with that, there's an exhortation, right? There's a call to action. And so being raised with Christ gives us this call to action that he's going to go into next. So being raised with Christ, what I love about this, before I go to that, that action, is that it's connected to the historical resurrection of Christ. If Christ has been raised, if that tomb is in fact empty, then that means you are raised with him. You are not dead in sins, as we once were, but we are alive in God. The moment you or anyone becomes a believer, at that moment, a miracle happens. God resurrects the dead and gives us new life. And so if we have that, then what do we do? What's the call to action? Well, that's the next thing, right? So if you have been raised up with Christ, the next thing he says, keep seeking the things above. This is a, a constant action. It's a constant action of devoting serious effort to realize your, your desired goals. So you're putting serious, constant serious effort to realize your desires or your goals. And I, I think of these guys with uh, metal detectors on the beach. Um, I've only seen them a couple times, and I know they go other places like parks and stuff. But there are these metal detectors, and they're, they're scanning for, for, I don't even know if they know what they're scanning for. They just want to, they just, they just like a ding, right? Like, oh, there's something metal here. Let's dig it up. And so they'll find a bottle cap. Uh, I went on a tangent in my studies and went like on a forum for metal detector people. And they're like, yeah, I found this, this old cap and then an old handle to a stove from the 1900s. I'm like, how long were you looking for, for that? And, and they spend hours and hours. They said, like, sometimes you get, some, you get lucky in your first couple hours. Sometimes it takes months. And I'm like, okay, I, I, you do you, guy. That's, that sounds fun, uh, I guess. But they are persistent. They are persistent because they have fixed in their minds finding some amazing score, right? Some amazing treasure that's been buried in the sand and, and needs to be discovered. And I think that, that kind of persistent searching, that persistent seeking, that's what Paul is talking about here. We need to be looking persistently beyond this world. Every day when we get up, when we go about our daily routine, we need to focus on the eternal things. That's what Paul says here, on the things above. Now we could ask a question, okay, Paul, what's, what's these things above? What are you talking about here? I mean, you could look at that and maybe you think heaven, 
right? You think, okay, well, uh, things above, that's, that's where heaven is. Um, man, how great is heaven going to be? And amen to that, right? We could be thinking, I'm finally going to get some rest. I could finally just enjoy being in heaven with no pain, no suffering. I get to do those things I never had time for here. May I could learn to finally play the bagpipes. Though uh, my wife would say that even in light of eternity, that still sounds like a waste of time. So um, if, if you love bagpipes, though, and if you could play, full, you have my full respect. Um, but these things, these things, I think, go, the, the things above go beyond just heaven, just, just the delight that heaven is going to be. Look how Paul describes the things above. He says, you know, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. The things above are centered around Christ. The things above is about his kingdom, and his kingdom focuses on the Savior. It focuses on the things of Christ, on his righteousness, on his holiness, on his amazing, fully completed atoning work. And not only that, but Paul reminds us that Christ is in a place of power. He's at the right hand of God. That the angels and authorities and powers, things that, that we can't even see, those powers are subjected to Christ. So why look to anything or anyone else? Jesus is why we look to the things above. If we are united with Christ, if we have been raised up with him, then we ought to seek after his kingdom. We ought to live as the ones who are united to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. Now, this could get practical very fast. For example, if we are seeking the things above, we don't have to worry or become so preoccupied about our health, about our food, about our clothing. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 6.33. Matthew 6.33, he says, Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Of course, that doesn't mean we don't work. Right? We still work. We still use our time to honor the Lord, to, to earn a wage. We still go to the store and buy food. But God knows what you'll need, and he'll provide. And he'll keep providing until he calls you home. So in the meantime, we don't worry about those things. We seek the things above. We live righteously. We, we spread the gospel, and we do works in our lives that have eternal significance. Colossians, uh, Paul explains it a little bit further. He, he, he explains it in terms of a new creation, that we are a new man in Christ. Um, so Colossians 3.10, he says, Put on this new self who is being renewed to true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. And then he gives us a list of what that looks like. Look at verse 12 in chapter 3. He says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on, so it's kind of like that put on the, the, the new self, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So you look at that list that we just read, and that is what seeking the things above looks like right now. Do you have compassion to those who are in need? Are you quick to forgive? You know, how many of you have a complaint against somebody? How many people have a complaint against you? 
Are you quick to forgive and to seek that unity of love? Are you patient with your spouse? Are you gentle with your kids, with the people you work with? These are characteristics of someone who is united with Christ. These are, these are characteristics of someone who has been raised with him and walks with him. So every morning we get up, we need to persistently seek the things above. Not just because it's what we're supposed to do, not just because we want this outward act to be accomplished. We seek the things above because that's a reality of who we are. That we live as those who have been raised with Christ. So Paul takes this aspect of union with Christ and he adds to it. He gives us a second aspect of our union with Christ. So the first aspect of being united with Christ is that we are risen with Christ. And in verses 2 and 3, he says we have died with Christ. So let's look at what this implication has. So verses 2, let's read verse 2 and 3. It says, set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So it sounds, there's a similarity to verse 1, except there's a different verb. Verse 1 had a more of a seeking. It was like a, a constant active action. Um, verse 2, set your mind on things above, is more contemplative. It's more um, something that you give careful consideration or you're more intent on. Uh, you could say verse 2 is, is a bit more more cognitive and, and heart-searching than verse 1. What you set your mind on determines your actions. It determines your attitudes. It determines your affections. It determines what, determines what you do. We see this with the uh, Olympic athletes. Um, they get so focused on that one goal, right? They want, they want to win the, the gold, right? That's their goal. And so everything in their lives gets framed around that goal. What they eat before the race, what they do in the weeks leading up to the race, oftentimes they're going to go to the place where the Olympics is held at to acclimate, to steady, or not to steady, but to, to train in that, uh, in that region. What time they sleep, everything in their life is centered around getting peak performance on the day of the event. That's the set your mind, and we should have set our mind on our prize. Paul says set your mind, uh, that he wants to set his mind on the prize of the upward call of God. He says that in Philippians. We set our minds on things above. We are to be intellectually purposeful and intentional with our day to make sure that our interests are, are Christ's interests, that our interest matches the king's interests, that we are serving the kingdom of God and not trying to advance the kingdom of ourselves. Do you have this mindset? Are you purposeful, like these athletes, in your pursuit of Christ? Now, this is kind of a general question, so let me, let's break it down. Let's look at this last week. Just a quick check. This last week. This last week, what were you most intentional about? What did you make sure you set aside time for? What were the non-negotiables to you? So you think about that list this past week. You did these things. Which of those activities would you say you did because you set your minds on things above? I'm sure there were activities there like reading your Bible, praying, spending time with family. You've got, you're evangelizing. You're encouraging a brother and sister in Christ. All those things 
have eternal weight. All those things pulls our minds towards Christ. It pulls our minds to thinking, to setting our minds on things above. But if we're honest, there are other things on that list of what, we, what was non-negotiable that robs us from those precious moments. And what Paul, the way Paul talks about it here is that he says these are things on the earth. So look at the contrast that Paul says in verse 2. He says, set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. The things above are diametrically opposed to the things of earth. You have to see that difference. And in the context here, it does, so let me just say, it doesn't mean you could get out of, um, out of paying the bills or, or taking out the trash. You know, the wife asks, you can't say like, those are things of the earth, hon. I'm about things above, so you got to find somebody else. Um, you know, get one of the kids, I guess. Um, in the context here, Paul's not talking about it. Paul is refuting the false teachers. Remember, the false teachers wanted the church to live like the world, to worship like the world did. The, the false teachers taught a, a legalistic life, like following ceremonies and rules uh, that you could, do, you could justify yourselves before God if you do those things. And Paul's saying that all those teachings are opposite of things above. I love how one commentator wrote, he said, the things on the earth are practices that refuse to acknowledge Christ as a sovereign Lord of all. When do we do that? Those are the things of earth. When do we refuse to acknowledge Christ as sovereign Lord of all? It is a serious thing to set our minds on things of earth rather than things of, of above. I think we have this shocking reminder. We'll get there in um, a few weeks. I'm not quite sure. Mark 8. <laughs> um, Jesus is speaking about his upcoming crucifixion and death. And, and it says in Mark 8 that Peter takes him aside and rebukes Jesus. And Jesus responds to him and says, get behind me, Satan. I think a lot of us are familiar with that rebuke. But listen to what he says after. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Do you realize that, that we fall into the schemes of the enemy when we set our minds on the things of earth? And we studied this past week in small groups that Adam and Eve, that's essentially what they did. They focused on what was in front of them. They took the enticement of that sin and they didn't run to God. They didn't run to his truth. They didn't run to his character. And they focused on the things of earth rather than the things of God. This is what makes living on earth so difficult. How often do we elevate the things of earth beyond the things above? How often do we elevate our pursuits, our personal pursuits, whatever looks good to us, right? It could be money, respect, it could be a quiet home. How often do we put those pursuits of our, of our interest beyond God's interest? I think sometimes we pursue those things rather than take comfort in the eternal promises that we have in Christ. Or I think this is, I'm guilty of this, when we choose to complain, we complain about what's happening to us. We complain about what we're not getting. And we complain rather than resting in God's goodness and God's sovereignty. We need to set our mind on things above, especially in those moments. And not things on the earth. And like I said, we should say that, but there has to be a reason. What's the reason behind setting our minds on things above? And Paul gives it to us in verse 3. In verse 3, he says, For, so here's the explanation, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So you see those two reasons there? He gives us two reasons. For you have died, 
Okay, so the first reason you have died, and, and I love the Christian faith. I love how it begins. Our faith begins with death. It begins with death on the cross, but also we die. When you become a believer, you died. And the tense that's used here in Colossians is a, is a tense that's a, it's giving a, a completed action. It's saying that this is what is done. You died because you were united with Christ in his death. Just as he died on the cross, you died to the world. I like how Paul puts it in Romans 6. Romans 6, uh, this is verses 5 through 7. He says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, so there's that unity, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. So that, listen to this, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. You are no, if you die with Christ, and that happened, if you're a believer, that happened. If you're died with Christ, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're not under sin's power. You're not under the power of the world. We already died to it. We have been set free from the tyranny of sin. Now, again, Paul gets super practical here. Look at Colossians 3, down to verse 5. Look how he applies this. He says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as what? As dead. Because we have died with Christ. As dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And, and just go down to a little bit to verse 8. Verse 8, he says, uh, verse 8, But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with his evil practices. When did you lay aside your old self? That's when you died with Christ, when you became a believer. You know, the reality of our union with Christ this practically means in your life that, that you're going to watch your temper. You're going to watch your temper because you are united with Christ. It, it doesn't fit. You're going to stop watching things that you shouldn't be watching because you are united with Christ. If you just look at that list we just read, I mean, how easy it is for us to focus and set our minds on things of the earth, right? As we read those things, I'm sure there are some things that stuck out to you, like, I struggle with this. So we have to go back to the reality of who we are united with. You are joined to the victorious king. You are joined to the savior who on the cross, in Colossians chapter 2, on the cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and publicly and openly triumphed over them. That's what he did on the cross. And that's who you're joined to. That's who you're united to right now. You're united with Christ in his death so that you can put your mind, uh, you could set your mind on things above. Sin doesn't have to have a, a, a hold over you. Christ already defeated that. So we set our minds to things above because we have died with Christ. But So that's the first reason he gives in, ver, in verse 3. But there's a second reason there. He says, uh, back to verse 3, for, we, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And it's hidden in a couple ways. It's hidden in the sense of protected. I mean, I just jumped right to uh, 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, Peter writes that we are protected by the power of God through faith 
for our salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If you're a believer, that salvation is secure. God is protecting you in it. The father who raised up his son protects us until our salvation is fully realized. And that's just an amazing assurance that we have. Your salvation, if you truly believe, if you've truly been raised with Christ, died with Christ, is secure. Just think about what thing in your life could distract you from that. What circumstance here on earth can be either be so great or so awful that it will draw attention from things above to things of the earth? I think when we remember that our life is hidden in Christ, that it's secure, we could say with Paul that no tribulation, no distress, no persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword can ever separate you from the love of Christ. We have a secure salvation. But also with this hidden, we're going to see this in the next verse, it's not visible. And this is another sense of life being hidden with Christ. It's not visible. The false teachers here didn't see that the Colossians believers already had gained eternal life. They truly believed they already have eternal life, but it was invisible to the false teachers. And so our lives... The life that we have in Christ is invisible to the world. Nobody can see that we have died and been raised to new life just by looking at us. But there should be a difference. If you have died with Christ, if your life is hidden with Christ, then your life should look different from the world. It should be different. In fact, the world, with all its empty promises, with all its distractions, all those things should seem repulsive to you compared to the fellowship we have with the Creator, compared to our unity and the richness of that unity we have in Christ. So again, why focus on the things of earth? Why meditate on that? Why spend our time on that when we have such a strong union with an amazing, victorious King? So we set our minds to things above because we are united with him who is above. We are united with him in his resurrection. We are united with him in his death. And lastly, we're united with him in his glorification. So let's read verse 4. Verse 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. I just want to slow down here for a second and just, I just want to focus on a little phrase in this verse. It's, it's, it's kind of easy to go by so quickly, but it's, it's very rich. It's not just that Jesus gives us life. He does, right? We have eternal life in Christ. But Paul says that Jesus is our life. There's a difference there. There's a difference from saying, uh, I get eternal life from Christ. This is what I get from Christ. Christ is a means for what I get to. Christ is what I get. We didn't receive life in Christ to just live life you know, according to our own pleasures. We received life so that we could live our lives to obey him, to serve him, and to glorify him. And guess what? And when you glorify him, we find joy that can never be compared to the pleasures of this world. When you look at Jesus as your joy, when you look at Jesus as your life, the world's temptations and what it offers you falls into the background. And Jesus is your supreme joy and light. 
I like the way Paul says in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. So there's that union with Christ again. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ is our life. And I think that little passage, the little phrase in verse 4, makes verse 4 overall all the more glorious. Our life, which is hidden in verse 3, will be revealed. The verb here in verse 4 when it says revealed simply means to make visible what was invisible. And the glory of Christ has been invisible to the world. Uh, let's, think back about, let's think back to his first coming. In his first coming, he comes and he comes before the high priest. So this is right before his crucifixion. And the high priest says to him, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's what Paul is talking about in verse 4. But then Jesus goes on to be crucified, and the world goes on. The world doesn't see this visible glory, and, and for many people, the story ends that way. But we know the story doesn't end that way. Ever since his first coming, we have been waiting for his return because of what verse 4 says. It, we want Christ to return. We want to see that glorious return of Christ. We want to see our Savior, our life, the person who, who we sacrificed for, the person who we've been serving and loving and cherishing. We want to see him come back and return, and we want everyone to see his glory. And that will happen. He will return, and every eye will see him. This is going to be a marvelous moment to see our Savior lifted up before the world. But, but the grace of God, verse 4 says, we will be with him in that return. We think about our Savior and how he's going to return. We're like, What part do we have to play in that? It is only by the grace of God that we could be right next to our Savior in that return. I mean, look at the, how, how Paul says it. He says, when Christ, who is alive, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. That union should be shocking. That we could partake in something like that. After who we know we are as sinners. But that's the whole thing about the gospel. That we get to be united with, with Christ in his death. That we are no longer living for the world, but living for him, that we are, are united with him in his resurrection, that we have this new life, that we are made new creations, and that we are going to be with him in glory when he returns. Our life is hidden in Christ, and when Christ will be revealed in glory, we will be there also. Now, let's, let's think about this for a second. This is going to happen in the future. This hasn't happened yet. What does that mean for us now? There's a couple ways. I think the main idea, the main thrust here is that it brings hope. When we think about Christ is going to return and we're going to return with him in glory, it gives us hope. That's what it does. It reminds us that what we're doing on this earth is not in vain. That we should not be focused on earth because we know earth is passing but we should be focusing on things above because it is Christ who is above will be coming back. That we could be expecting his return. And even beyond that, 
There are specific ways this brings hope. This, this hope gives us a better perception, uh, gives us a, a better perspective for our sufferings. One of my favorite passages, Romans 8, 18. Romans 8, 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy. They're not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. I sometimes think, I wish I could get a glimpse of what that glory is going to be like when he returns. I wish I could get a glimpse of what Christ looks like now in his glorified state. And I think we would be so blown away with the glory of Christ if we had that glimpse that any suffering that we are going to deal with now, any suffering that comes into our life this week, five years from now, that seeing his glory, we would gladly endure knowing what's coming in the future. I think that's what Paul means when he says it's not worthy to be compared. Suffering's hard here, but that glory is so much greater. And another way this brings hope is that it brings certainty to our salvation. If we know glorification is coming, we have certainty that we're saved. Romans 8, 29, 30 says that, that, well, I don't have time to read it, but that says God, he predestined us, he called us, he justified, and he glorified. He stays almost in the past tense as it's going to happen. This is going to happen. You have died with Christ. If you have died with Christ, there's no doubt that God will finish the work and you will certainly be glorified with him. This is all because our union with Christ. So why do we set our minds on things above? Why do we keep seeking the things above? It's because we have died with him. It's because we've been raised with him and it's because we will be glorified in him. This is who you are. You can define yourselves however other way you want to, but this is a reality of who you are. You are united with Christ. And anything that goes against that is things of the earth. Why would we indulge in things of the world when we know who we're united to? Why would we live for ourselves? Why would we live for the temporary joys of the world when, when Christ is our life? So our union with Christ ought to change our perspective. It should keep us focused on things above. It should keep us living righteously before God. And it should give us hope for his return. Paul, uh, he started out with this condition. He said, if you have been raised up with Christ. And so I want to ask, have you been raised up with Christ? Could you look at that condition and say, yes, I'm going to follow everything it says? Or do you look at that and say, I have a question about that. I don't, I don't know. I think some of you here have entrusted in Jesus. I think some of you here maybe trying to show God that you're good enough to go to heaven by your works. And Paul says that that's empty deception. There's no hope in that. The only hope we have to, to, to have eternal life, to have forgiveness of sins, the only hope we have is to run to Christ and to claim that salvation, to claim that, that forgiveness, not because of our own works, but because of who we're united with. Have you repented and turned from living in a way that, that focuses on this passing world to living in a way that keeps you focused on the things above? Have you been risen with Christ? Have you been forgiven from the sins that you committed and entrusted Jesus, entrusted yourself to Jesus? 
if you can't answer yes to those, and if you're not sure, then I'm going to plead with you to seek the Lord today while he still can be found. I'm going to plead with you not to leave here today without doing business with God. And please come speak to me. Come speak to any Christians around you. This is eternal matters we're talking about here. Now, for those of you who have been raised with Christ, then let this reality that, that your union with Christ, let it motivate you to live holy lives. Don't, go, don't, don't grow complacent. Don't continue in your sin. You have died with Christ. Sin has no power over you. You have died with Christ, and because you have died with Christ, you have life in Christ. And if we have life in Christ, we could enjoy that life. That life in Christ isn't, isn't a, a theoretical concept. It's something that could be enjoyed right now today. Enjoy the life you have in them. Go to his word. Go to him in prayer. Spend beautiful times of fellowship with him. Be surrounded by his people. And seek him who is above. Let's, let's pray to our Lord who has saved us and who has united us to him. Father, we just praise you, Lord, for the amazing grace and opportunity and blessings that we have in being united with your Son. Lord, we are so undeserving to be partakers, to even to what Paul says, that we will be glorified with him. But Lord, you have in your Son put our sins upon him and given us his righteousness. And his victories are, are, are now our victories. That we are now sons and daughters of God. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to live that way. That you would help us to, to fight through all the deceptions and entanglements and everything that this world throws at us and the enemy throws at us. And that we would just cling to what your word says about who we are. So God, we glorify you today and we pray that you would continue working in us until the day that we are united with you. Praise Jesus' name. Amen.